Yeah, I guess it was uh, year three or four, maybe year five. I, I realized that I wasn't in the lawn mowing business at all or the landscaping business at all. I was in the sales business that I needed to develop a sales system uh, that I could repeat over and over again. And that could be kind of the engine of growth at the core of the business. And that aha moment um, hit me and I didn't really know what to do about it. You know, <laughs> this was 2002 or three. Um, and so there really wasn't a whole lot of like online courses you could take. Yeah. You could buy some books and maybe go to some seminars, but it wasn't like today where you could just learn anything for free. Um, so I just kind of like beat my head against the wall trying to, to develop a sales process and did it wrong for about another five years until, <laughs> until so like just five years. <laughs> right. Right. That's yeah. about right. Well, every mistake you can make. I mean, selling on price. Welcome to the Small Business Safari, where I help guide you to avoid those traps, pitfalls, and dangers that lurk when navigating the wild world of small business ownership. I'll share those gold nuggets of information and invite guests to help accelerate your ascent to that mountaintop of success. It's a jungle out there, and I want to help you traverse through the levels of owning your own business that can get you bogged down and distract you from hitting your own personal and professional goals. So strap in, adventure team, and let's take a ride through the safari and get you to the mountaintop. Small Business Safari, one of the top 10% podcasts in the world. That's right, everybody. And when you look at the way we've done it, we're doing it the right way. You guys are listening. Everybody's been paying attention. They've been getting the word out. We have been growing leaps and bounds since the middle of 2023. If you're listening to this, you're getting on some of the hot stuff. We have had some amazing guests. Some guests that I actually got to meet this past weekend, Alan. Would this have something to do with your raspy voice, Chris? Or are you going through a Barry White phase? Hello, everybody. And Daddy's back. A little raspy, Alan. So how did this weekend go? Yeah, tell me, Caligula. What All did right. you do this weekend? So last, uh, so my weekend, as we've established, is a little bit more than two days. It started, what, Wednesday night, It right? did, yeah. Wednesday night, I flew up to uh, Wisconsin. On Thursday, I went to the Detroit Lions, Green Bay game in Lambeau Field. I texted you at halftime and you didn't even respond. Well, because I was busy engaging with all the patrons of Lambeau Field and I was that guy. Did you they go down after did you go down after with the with all the Lions fans and you're screaming at the announcers? No, uh but my buddies did, okay. which was phenomenal. Uh and so what's funny is that the my buddies who did that were all Packers fans. Oh really? <laughs> they were just down there because it was cool. So they yeah. were in actually the overshot. I was too busy up in the stands uh, mingling with my people or making sure I didn't get killed. Uh, so we do that. And then on Saturday, we uh, drove to Milwaukee and took the train into Chicago O'Hare, which was a blast. We went to the Magnificent Mile, stayed down there that night, had an amazing meal at RPM Italian. Shout out there. Um, another company that should be uh, uh, sponsoring us. Mm-hmm. And then on Saturday, we went to another really cool venue, and it's up in Evanston, Illinois, and it's the Northwestern Ryan Field. And we got to see Northwestern and Penn State, which was wow. tied at halftime. Yeah. And uh, it was so much fun. We were so close. You could smell the grass, hear the guys, and could see how excited Northwestern was that they made a stop at the uh, one-yard line and stopped Penn State. And just to watch that pure joy coming off. It was awesome. That's just a classic old school, lots of brick, right? The old stadium. Right. You oh, walk in and you walk up. College. And, you know, oh, yeah. It was just, and it's a really cool campus because I was in charge of the Ubers and I took us to the Ryan Field house. Uh, so that's where we started. At the basketball arena? Yeah. Okay. Good job. We didn't mean to, but we we're there. <laughs> and so we took a great picture in Lake Michigan. So then we 
Then we proceeded to bar hop all the way back down to downtown Atlanta, uh, downtown Chicago through Lincoln Park and got to watch football games and a great bar where we brought the average age up of the bar probably by 30 years. We usually <laughs> we talk about being joking. Then uh, we go out uh, that night and just kept bar hopping, bar hopping, and then went to bed and then I flew out Sunday to Las Vegas where I was a speaker at the Neary Conference. How did it go? It went well. I actually had questions after Alan. Really? Three different people. They they stayed awake? They stayed awake. They stayed engaged. And after, after, yeah. you're going to love this. I can't wait. I had three people come up going, we really enjoy your podcast. Say hi to Alan for me, said one. Nice. Huh? Alan back. gets yeah, a shout out. It. That was cool. And other people say, you know, I really like what you're doing for the industry. We really enjoyed your podcast. And then Brian Gottlieb, who we had on, um, if you haven't listened to that episode about how to figure out how to do an exit in a company and how to be a great leader. <laughs> yeah. He, how to, how to, if you could have a do over in life, you'd be Brian. That oh one. Yeah. So he was there. He was our keynote. And, uh, after I finished, he goes, I want to just show you something. And he shows me a text message that says, Hey, Brian, I heard you on the small business safari. I want to talk to you about a potential business opportunity. Wow. So, you know, who knows what happens from that, yeah. but, but that's what happens. You know, this podcast and, and what they were all saying was, you know, what's different about us is that it's kind of like a morning talk show. These guys, I mean, literally I had three of them pumping me up like, like we were getting ready to quit. <laughs> like so you need it. <laughs> I did. Oh, Big Daddy was rolling. So, no, my, my my speech went great. I had a great time out there, but it's still Vegas. I did not burn it at both ends, but I'm telling you, man, I got on the airplane yesterday and got in to the house at 12 o'clock at night and then put a full day in, and then here we are now. So I got I to gotta go back to Vegas. When you're in Vegas, even though we're conference, I mean, I'm sure you're hitting the tables, right? Oh, I hit them. Yeah. What's, I, your, what's your game? So at Blackjack, mm -hmm. I ended up down 100. And here's the good news. you play classic book? Or? Yeah. No, I do. I do multiple decks. Um, but that's the first time I've ever been at the Mirage. Thank you, Mirage. Great shout out. Thank you for not kicking me out. Um, but I did get reprimanded. I used one of the seven words that George Carlin doesn't let you use at the table. And he told me, he asked me to come. He came up and said, I asked you please not to use that word. I said, can I use the other six that Carlin says we can't use? Or it just is that just that one. You didn't like my F word. Because this lady was killing me. This deal, I had to get up and walk away. And I was there with a bunch of people I knew. <laughs> I didn't know that they cared about your language at a casino. Uh, he was showing off for the girl who was at the corner. Uh, uh, so, but it was funny. I was like, yeah. I'm you got shushed in a casino. I did. Only Chris. Huh? Only Chris. I didn't get kicked out. <laughs> so with that, we appreciate Brian kind of hanging out. Yeah, we Brian, got the guest. Lady. let's get this going, shall we? Brian Clayton has started a business that I am so intrigued on uh, that I've actually... Uh, knew about him over a year ago, was checking his story out, but I don't want to tell a story for him. So he's going to explain what he has. But before we get into that, when did you start your first entrepreneurial gig? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Uh, my my name is Brian Clayton. I'm CEO of Green Pal. And, and uh, my first entrepreneurial gig started 20, maybe almost 30 years ago when my dad, he got tired of me uh, sitting around the house playing Nintendo all day. And he said, Hey, get off your butt. Uh, I got a gig for you. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And he made me go cut the neighbor's grass. And my dad was a military guy and this was not a request. It was a direct order. And he, he escorted me next door, told me, he, he says it pays 20 bucks and you're going to go mow this yard. I'd never mowed a yard before. And, and so he kind of taught me how to cut the grass while uh while showing me everywhere i missed and wherever everywhere i screwed up and and we got paid 20 bucks and he let me have 20 dollars and i was hooked i was hooked on entrepreneurship from that moment forward I, I the first thing i did that night was make up a bunch of flyers and pass them all over the neighborhood and, and uh 
and I had like 10 customers that summer and I never looked back. I just, I kept, kept sticking with that lawn mowing business little by little growing it year over year until about 15 years in, I was able to grow it to about 150 employees and, and $10 million a year in revenue. And then it was acquired by a big national company. And that's what teed me up to build green pal, which is like the Uber for lawn care. Take that dad. How about that dad? How am I doing now? <laughs> Well, at, what, at what point he's funny. like, "Hey, I didn't tell you to do this for the rest of your life. Get a real job, right?" That's that's fair. Yeah, well, he often jokes about that. He said, "I'm glad I didn't buy you a set of ice skates or something like that, because <laughs> you you really went to you really took this as far as you could." Uh, so so yeah, no, it worked out for me. And 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 to that to that kind of po- to your point, I didn't really want to be a lawn guy my whole life. It really not nothing about the business appealed to me. I, I hated mowing yards. Um, I hated what part the of the country. Are you? A Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, okay. So hot summers, mm-hmm. and and uh, and I and I really didn't enjoy the business, but I saw owning a business in, in the home services space as kind of my lane, as as something that could take me places in life that I couldn't go otherwise, and and I and I saw it as the as the thing that would enable me to challenge myself and and to do something bigger than if I just got a job somewhere. So so while I, I didn't like the lawn mowing business, I did like being in business and, and prospering and winning. So so I think it doesn't matter what you're doing, as so long as you're pouring your heart and soul into it, you can take take it somewhere. That's a great point. I think it's a it might you like you said, I, I don't like mowing lawns. In fact I'm I'm allergic to grass. Uh, so I outsource you, you know it's funny, grass. I was walking in into your fabulous studios out by your pool and I'm like, man, Chris's lawn looks really good. It's nicely edged, and I know he did not do that. He didn't look uh, right. He does uh, not do it. No. no. First thing we did when we moved to Atlanta. In fact, the lawnmower never made it from Charlotte. <laughs> that was sold. <laughs> was gone. But I love the business aspect. So as you what I want to do is talk a little bit about, about the growth because a lot of people try to figure out, you know, they think Hey, I got a great idea. You know, I just had a guy talk to me about um, he wants to get in painting. He doesn't want to do franchising. He wants to do it by himself. I'm like, it's easy when you're one, mm-hmm. but it's hard to compete in Atlanta, especially with our market. You got to really figure out how to scale and get good teams. So let's talk a little bit about how you scaled up and, and some of those bumps along the road in the beginning. Yeah, I guess it was uh, year three or four, maybe year five. I, I realized that I wasn't in the lawn mowing business at all or the landscaping business at all. I was in the sales business that I needed to develop a sales system uh, that I could repeat over and over again. And that could be kind of the engine of growth at the core of the business. And that aha moment um, hit me and I didn't really know what to do about it. You know, <laughs> this was 2002 or three. Um, and so there really wasn't a whole lot of like online courses you could take. Yeah. You could buy some books and maybe go to some seminars, but it wasn't like today where you could just learn anything for free. Um, so I just kind of like beat my head against the wall trying to, to develop a sales process and did it wrong for about another five years until, <laughs> until so like, for just five years. <laughs> right. Right. That's yeah, about right. Well, every mistake you can make, I mean, selling on price, uh, selling, you know, selling, uh, hiring people that were in the industry that were salespeople because I thought our industry was so mysterious and, um, and not, ha- not hiring sales oriented people, um, you know, doing it, trying to delegate it before I could codify it down into a, a step-by-step process. Uh, because I, I honestly, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to cold call people. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go like sit in the lobby, um, you know, of a restaurant or, or a bank or, um, or an office park office park and try to ask for the facility service manager and, and like bother them and pitch them on my services. Like I, I didn't want to do any of that. And so, so, so one of the things I did wrong for a long time was I tried to like outsource and delegate that 
when in fact I had no clue what that process should even look like. And and so it wasn't until I just like bit the bullet, ran it myself, codified it down into a step-by-step process, and then started to build out a team around that, that it, t- it took like five years. And then, uh, so, you know, year, you know, nine and 10, I started, I started being able to scale the business beyond a couple of million in revenue to three, four, five, and, and then ultimately 10 million a year, in, a year in revenue. Let's talk about that sales for a minute because uh, you just hit on something I just heard again uh, at this conference I was just at out in Vegas uh, for Neri. Um, was your best salesperson in the industry or outside of the industry? Ultimately, the best sales guy I ever hired, uh, I, I, I met him. He applied because he didn't like his job making sandwiches at Jersey Mike's. Um, so that was the best sales guy I ever hired because he was just a, a, a motivated, driven type of individual that wanted more out of life, had a chip on his shoulder, and and hated his job at Jersey Mike's. And this was like in the in the Great Recession. So it, it, it like it wasn't like there was a whole lot of career opportunities if you had just graduated college. And that was the best salesperson I ever hired because I could just teach him my process. He didn't know the first thing. He couldn't he couldn't couldn't tell the difference between a weed and a, and a and a blade of grass or or a tree and a shrub. I had to teach him everything from the ground up. But he had he had the ambition, he had the work ethic, he had the attitude, and he was sharp and and he and I made a lot of money together. Do you have what it takes to start your own business? Are you tired of the 9 to 5 corporate job and ready to make that leap into entrepreneurship? You need to check out From the Zoo to the Wild, the book by successful entrepreneur Chris Lalomia. This book is a unique perspective on the journey into the wild world of home services and delivering excellence in service while working in customers' homes. Lalomia shares his path to success in this industry, including proven customer relationship strategies, award-winning customer experience processes, and a unique approach to training a team of service technicians to perform at the highest levels. Whether you're a small business trying to scale or a franchise operation, From the Zoo to the Wild will give you the mindset, habits, leadership style, and customer-oriented processes to succeed as a small business owner in the world of home services. So if you're ready to take control of your future, get a copy of From the Zoo to the Wild today, available on Amazon. Hard to do it, uh, but it's so key, and that's hire for hire for attitude. Like you just said, he hated his job. And if I have a guy sitting in front of me going, "Oh, I hate what I do. I hate what I do," I'm like, "Dude, you're out, Debbie Downer." But motivated, ooh, color me interested. But uh, I just heard the best sales guys are guys you bring in and train them on your sales process. They're not bringing all their head trash of the other company that's in your world and how they want to do it. They don't want to. Because I've had that happen too. I had a guy come in. I thought, all right, man, he's in the business. He, he was like, well, we do it this way um, at this place. I'm like, yeah, no, we don't do it like that, man. Different sales process here for what we do and how we do it. Uh, he finally bought in. He's actually still with me, but it was one of the few that internally worked out. But I found it's it's better to hire for attitude and skill, right, and motivation, like you said. Yeah, character. Nice. And then teach and then teach them the process. You got to have both. You got to have yeah, a point. you have to have a step by step process that you've codified that you've you have broken down into a repeatable process that that you then plug them into. You 
you can't have one or the other. Um, you can't just hi- you can't just like hire a, a motivated person and say, "Hey, um, good luck. Let me know when you got a million dollars in business." It, like that doesn't work either. I mean, sometimes it works, um, you know, but but not not in my experience. I've I've always had to to give them a system, give them a process, and put the right person in that system. So your your sales process, you're saying you you basically invented yourself after five years of pain. Is that right? Or did you that's actually right. read something right. or have an aha moment? Um, I had a aha moment when one thing we did is we we did prospecting um at organizations that were that that consisted of the customer we wanted. So it could be like uh HOAs, there, there was an HOA meeting, HOA trade trade organization, apartments, multifamily. We we did tons of apartments, and these were fifty, hundred thousand dollar a year contracts. Um, and so we we were members of the Greater Nashville Apartment Association. Um, it could be could be restaurants, offices, real estate investors, things of that that sort. And so we would attend these trade organizations meetings, a sponsor them, um, and and just have a presence there, and so they, they knew who we were and. And we could like rub up, rub elbows with them. And that really wasn't enough. That was enough to like maybe break down some barriers, but it wasn't like that was a silver bullet. But I was attending a meeting that I sponsored uh, and it was with a group of apartment owners and they were, this was again in like the, the great recession. And they were, they were all like complaining and like upset about how low occupancy rate was. And and how that the averages in Mill Tennessee were normally in the 90s, and some of them were in the 70s, some of them were in the 80s, and some of them were even lower than that. And so I thought, well, you know, okay, these guys don't don't care about anything but filling the empty apartments. And so how can I help them with that? And so and and so uh, I would approach apartment commu- community managers and say, hey, what's your occupancy rate? And they would say, well, why do you ask? You you just cut the grass. And we would we would say, well, uh, we attended the meeting last week, and they they're saying, you know, ninety three percent is what people are shooting for, you know, and they say, well, we're we're at seventy eight, and then I said, well, that's easy. I I said with a with a proactive plan with landscape maintenance, we can make the grass greener, make the grass thicker, we can install some seasonal color around the model home, we can install a new floral display at the entrance, and drive some traffic in here, and, and I know we can get you above eighty percent. Um, it may take 12 months and, and, you know, with a two-year agreement, uh, you know, 24 months, I think we can get you to 82, 83%. And so that changed the whole conversation from who's the cheapest guy I can get to cut my grass to who, who can I partner with to help me get where I'm trying to go in business hmm. what, what, with my uh, business. How about thinking outside of the box there and showing a value add and solving their major pain point, their major pain point, wasn't or not, there was a weed there. Their major pain point, wasn't or not the grass was edge correctly their major pain point was occupancy and you just tied in what you do to what they have their biggest pain on that's huge i mean what a great idea yeah it, it, it can help with any any business doesn't matter what sales business you're what line of work you're in you can tie what it is you do with what you're where your customers are trying to go and uh you know you, you really you don't sell the what you sell the why and and that's easy to say it's hard to do but if you can really invest the time play the long game doing that and selling that way it it can it can acquire new business at a higher margins and keep that business because then you're not viewed as like a, a commodity vendor, you're viewed as a partner. Uh, but you got to deliver. I mean, you you, you also got to deliver. You you have we you know 
it, we had to move that occupancy rate up, but we had to really bust our ass to to make those properties look as good as, as good as they could. So it kind of made us step our game up too. Nice. So uh, percent residential versus commercial when you were coming out of the recession and talking about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, as I grew that business, I had to grow it from a 100% residential business to a 100% commercial business. So, so over the course of 15 years, it completely flipped. And those two businesses are really two different industries. The, the residential maintenance and installation uh, services business for in landscaping is completely different than the commercial side. Some companies are good at both, but it's very rare. And so we, we, we moved from, from all residential to all commercial. And, and, and that's really, you kind of have to be in that commercial space to, to even uh, try to get your business acquired in that industry. Cause that's all, that's all any national providers are looking for is market share in, in commercial services. All right. Well, and, before we get into green pal, let's talk about that. So you, you didn't pivot. You, you had to move that needle over to commercial to get acquired at that point. Is that what you were thinking is that this is my exit strategy is to get to that. And did you have a timeline on it? I really, uh, for for 12, 13 of the 15 years, I just wanted to build a prosperous, thriving company. And that was my only North Star, uh, a profitable, growing business that that my employees could benefit from, that I could benefit from, that I could I could offer new opportunities for the people that work for me. Because as time went on, like this is 150 some odd people, I took it very seriously that, that their livelihood was dependent on the growth and, and prosperity of the business. And so I that was a that was a big reason why we why I did what I did and and so uh it was like year 13 it hit me that I had kind of gotten to a point of discontentment where where I wasn't uh being fulfilled by the business anymore by my personal growth and it wasn't something I intentionally set out to do but if you're growing if you're throwing your heart and soul into a business you should evolve into a whole new person every year or two and and that was the case for me I was learning all kinds of things I had never learned uh, I was I was taking courses on things I never would have tried to learn. I was reading books I never would have read, and so it was all these like new challenges. And it, I guess year thirteen wasn't like I conquered the world or anything, but I had reached a, a a plateau on my personal development. And so for two years I was kind of sideways, and that really weighed on me. And I thought, well, maybe I've taken this as far as I can take it or want to take it. Maybe I should explore getting it sold. And from the moment I had that that notion. Uh, in my head, it was probably another two years before I got it sold because I had to rebuild a lot of things into the business that, that weren't in it. A lot of systems, a lot of processes, hire some people that I didn't, didn't really want to hire. Um, and, and it took a while and it was another set of challenges all over again, which was kind of fun. And, and so ideally you, you work a proactive exit plan. You, there's a great book uh, that came out about 10 years ago called built to sell that is, is really about this, about building a business in the mid market and building it to where it could be acquired and it's do everything that book says and work a proactive plan. And you don't have to like go into this rush offense mode where you're rebuilding a lot of things in the business. And because, because if I had done that, if I had worked a proactive five-year plan, I probably would have had a, a, an even better outcome, yeah. but, uh, but still was able to get it done. So in year 13, at that point when you weren't feeling fulfilled, it wasn't like you should get uh, like season tickets to the Titans and, the Preds and uh, go run around uh, all over the nation with your buddies and ski behind their boats. Are you looking for validation, Chris? Because uh, because I, I do, I, I might take a few vacations. Uh, so I wasn't feeling I, fulfilled. So he, I he, take... was, he was looking for personal growth in a much different way <laughs> than you. And I mean, I'm sitting here just marveling at this arc because I'm assuming you were 17 years old when your dad yelled at you for playing video games, and then 13 years later, you're thinking about 
how do I position this 150 employee company into something that can sell to a national buyer is just dumbfounding to me. That's amazing. Well done. Well, it was, it was one of the, you know, things that you running a business, it forces you to do it. I, so I never would have done those things on my own. It was being in, in the journey of growing and trying to sell a business that forced me to level up and, and, uh, and really kind of like punch above my weight. And, and yeah, I did all of those things too. I, 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 one thing about that business is you could not leave it for more than about two and a half days. So it wasn't like I could just travel everywhere. You could never uh, do this, Chris. Uh, uh, level no, up could... or be leveled. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. he, just said, he said two and I was like, oh, two and a half weeks, days. Oh my days, God. Yeah, no. so, so you have had a crew who just walked off the job, left the vehicles just sitting right there and you had to go get over there to get it right. Oh, all, multiple, multiple times and, and situations much worse than that. And, and every day running that business was, was organized chaos. It was a hundred hundred different problems every day. And you just hope that they weren't you just hope they weren't super severe problems. Um, yeah. You know, you you could get a phone call and this happened to me a few times. It's like, hey, you need to come over here on the job site. Well, well, what's wrong? You just need to come here. Oh, and uh and uh and so I was right around the corner. I drove up and and sure and there's there's I could see two guys uh huddled around another guy and 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 he's got a he's got a one guy's got a shirt off. And he takes his shirt and inside of his shirt, he's got three of his fingers where he cut three of his fingers off. And, and so you can, uh, you can get whacked with surprises like that on a daily basis running, running that business. So, so I no, that. I couldn't, couldn't leave it. Couldn't leave. <laughs> couldn't turn your, turn your back on it for long. Dude, he said two, two now really weeks. I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm shooting for months. He goes days. I'm like, Oh crap. <laughs> All right. So, uh, well done on the acquisition. You get you get the business sold. You are here. You are in your thirties, and you're like, now what? What did you already have the Green Pal idea? Did you uh, already have that? I know what I'm going to do next in your head when you were selling. The idea was one that I had probably in 2010 or 11, and started Green Pal in 2014. So it was one I was sitting on, and. I, but I didn't really want to start that business. I, I had really planned on building the first company and I plan on running it forever. Then I changed my mind on that, sold it. And then I planned after that to become a, like a capitalist. Um, the book, The Cash Flow Quadrant by uh, Robert Kiyosaki, he, he describes the four different quadrants. And, and I kind of lived this book, um, being self-employed, um, being a business owner, um, being an investor. And I liked the idea of being an investor. I liked the idea of just being a capitalist, just being in the middle of deals, investing in real estate. Because at that, that time I had, I had invested a lot in real estate and I just wanted to do more of that. So I tried that for like a six months or a year. And man, it was really weird. It was like, there was no reason to get out of bed anymore. And it, there was no, there was no mission. There was no, there was no why there was no, there was no thing that I was a part of that mattered. And it really like made me feel unfulfilled. And I thought, well, maybe I'll start another business. I don't want to do another landscaping company or another contracting company because those are really hard. Uh, and the last one about killed me. <laughs> but I, Amen, uh, brother. yeah, <laughs> maybe I could start a tech company. I, I watched the movie, The Social Network. It looked really easy in that movie. So, so maybe I could just do that. Those guys just sat behind a laptop for a See, week. And every other business looks easier. Yeah, it but does. I, right, everybody else's business looks easier, but I promise the grass you, is always services. the grass is always green on the other yeah. side. And 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 but so you hit on something. I think a lot of people, uh, when they're sitting there, and like we all have those days, man. Like, just I just want to sell, and then I'm going to be a capitalist. I'm going to sit back. and I'm going to invest in other people because it's right. easy. 
It's easy, yeah. right? I can just sit back and I can just tell people what I'm doing and, and then uh, take off and go to the golf course. And it sounds uh, it sounds uh, like the panacea. It sounds like that's where you want to be. But Brian's kind of telling you what, is, what really goes on, because I've heard this from a couple guys, is that they, they missed the game. They they actually missed being needed. They got I got to have that purpose. I, I nobody needed me anymore, and it drove me nuts. And next thing you know, I invested in a company, and the next thing I know, I'm the CEO of the company because I didn't like the way the guy was running. The, and I've heard that story a couple times already. And so you you you've lived it, and it sounds interesting, everybody, but maybe it's not as good as you think. It's good for a, maybe a month or two, but maybe not for the rest of your life. I think you could milk it for a while. I'll milk it. Oh, okay, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm getting beaten down so hard now. I'm and I'm old. I'm older, way older than Brian. So, um, all right. So you you had this idea. You were sitting there. You're thinking about it. How did you start to operationalize it? Yeah. Um. So to your earlier point, it's like if it was if it wasn't for me, then what? And the business is the answer to that question. And so I needed I needed another mission. I needed like if if I don't get out of bed in the morning, why does it matter? And so I, I wanted to start another project. Uh, and I had this idea for Green Pal because I saw every day running my first landscaping business as we as we rebuilt the business from a residential based company to a commercial based company, we still sent ninety something trucks out every day. And so we had we had like name recognition in 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 Nashville. And but people would say, hey. I see you guys doing the uh, they call office. I see you guys doing the office uh, complex over here on Memorial Boulevard. I live right around the corner. Will you come knock my yard out for me? And and we would have to tell them, uh, no, we don't do residential maintenance. Um, but here's four or five phone numbers of of some people that do, because we wanted to be helpful no matter what. You never know that person could be you know a facilities manager for for Domino's or Pizza Hut or something. And and so we 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 wanted to uh, always be helpful. And so we would always like a hundred times a day, basically refer out. These, these queries coming into the office to smaller providers that could, could fulfill them. And so in effect, we were kind of like this hand-cranking um, Uber for lawn mowing, like on a local level. And and so I saw it. So I knew the problem was there. I knew they, need, they needed a solution. I knew, I knew somebody, I was fairly confident somebody was going to build a platform to make it as easy as clicking a button. And you know, I thought, why can't that be me? And it was very much like naivete as an asset. I didn't know the first thing about how to build a tech product. Didn't know how challenging it was going to be. But two guys wanted to start the business with me. We we got we got it together and, and we just started working on the first version. We didn't know how to code, so we paid a, a a development shop to build the first version of the app. That was a disaster. And uh then we had to teach ourselves how to learn how to build how to build software and how to code. And we did that and that took like another year or two. And then little right, by little you're, you're telling me you went from cutting grass to actually writing code. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. And, <laughs> I'm not saying and, and you can't. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with cutting grass, but coding these things, man, that's been one of those things where I'm like, uh, coming from the software world before I even started my own business. I mean, you know, wow, wow. It seems like two completely different. It really was. Species. It really was. Yeah. And, and managing the the people in your orbit is very different. Uh, and you know, in my first company, I had three full-time mechanics. Like that's all these guys did was change transmissions and trucks and motors and, and, uh, fix lawnmowers all day. So I had to speak mechanic every day. And, and then fast which forward, usually but, starts with F and go over there <laughs> yeah. and pick it up 
And so now you start talking to code guys. And if you said that, they probably go to a team. Right. Totally different start, skill set. Start, start saying, mommy, mommy, please don't yell at me anymore. <laughs> totally different. And, and so, yeah, because now then now I'm having to deal with engineers and developers and designers and content creators and copywriters. And it's just very different worlds. Um, some things carried through, um, like basic management and leadership and, and things of that sort. But a lot of, but it was a lot of things that I had to new start all over again, had to learn all over again. And, and it was very much, even though I had built and sold a company, I had, uh, I was starting all over again. It was my first time, first, first, first time business all over again. And, and one thing that a lot of people assume is that I had just built and sold a company that I plowed a bunch of money into the second business. I did not do that. Um, the, the guy that bought my company, um, gave me a piece of advice on the way out. He said, Hey, let me give you a piece of advice. You know, we've got this transaction done. You've got a lot of money. Um, he said, it's a lot easier to hold on to a, to, to a million dollars than it is to make a million dollars. And that really stuck with me. And I thought, man, I really don't want to screw this up. I never want to pick up another weed eater again. I never want to like mow another yard again. So, so I took every dime I made from the sale of that company and bought real estate with it. And so I was like poor all over again. I, I had no cash at all. I had cash flow, but I was reinvesting that in more deals and and and, and buying more houses. And so starting Green Pal, we it had to sing for its supper day one, and it was a lot of nights and weekends. It was a lot of a lot of a lot of part time hustling until we were able to get the momentum going where we we're making a little bit of money. Wow. That's uh, you're right because I would have said exactly. I was going to ask you a question about your investors. Were they active investors and partners, or were they passive and just put the money in? Well, so normally when you're building a tech company like this, that's the first thing you do. You you get a prototype going, and then you go around and and you hustle up what they call an angel round of funding, which is these days anywhere from five hundred k to two million bucks, and you you cobble it together across forty or fifty people, and so I just thought that's what you had to do. Uh, and so I started to kind of half-ass do that. And so I was taking these meetings. I was going all over town. I was flying to Boston, New York, uh, San Francisco, meeting with these angel investors and, and just having to like grovel and pitch them on this vision I had for like a $25,000 check or maybe a $50,000 check. I mean, I had just come, I just come off of selling a $10 million business. This to me was not something I had the appetite to do. So I burnt out on that really quick. <clears throat> I think maybe three or four months of, of doing that BS where I was just like, I'm not doing that. I don't care how long this takes. We're just going to build a company that makes money and, and we're going to self-fund it. And, and then, then, then we won't have to worry about raising capital. And while it took like three years, we eventually were able to do that. And, and, and now, and then we got to the point three years in where we were raising an angel round every month. And, and so, the, you know, just through sales in the business. So for us, that was the route we chose. If I had to do it all over again, like if you made me go back in time and start the business all over again, the first thing I would do is raise money because I know everything there is. I know everything I need to do to, to get to where I'm at, I'm at today. And I could do so it in two you, years, what took me 10. When you say raise the money, you're saying go do that angel <laughs> investor uh, road trip around the nation and do all that and grovel for the 20 and 50. I, I would take a different approach because I can speak a different language and have, and show the, the validation and proof points to, to where that could skip that. And I could go straight to a series a and not, not have to raise an angel round of funding and raise some real money, raise, raise, raise five, $10 million. So your original um, partners in this, did, did they bring the tech experience to you? What was no, the complementary skill sets they had? No, ideally you, you, you get a hacker and a hustler. So you get, 
you get like somebody who knows the business side, who can drive the project forward, who's sales oriented, just an organized, motivated person. And then you get a hacker uh, who is just a developer, somebody who can code, somebody who's been tinkering with websites their whole life. And it was just wired that way. And then these two forces come together and one plus one is three, five, 10. And, and that's, that's where some of the greatest partnerships that we read about in the business books were, were just that a hacker and a hustler, Steve jobs and Steve Woz, Wozniak. Right. Um, and, and <clears throat> that's not how it was for us. We, we, we had three, three hustlers, three guys that all had a chip on our shoulder, wanted to do something bigger in life, wanted to build something that touched the masses, so to speak, uh, wanted, wanted to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and wanted to invent something because uh, it's basically what we were doing. We were inventing a new product and that's all we had. And we figured out we could learn the rest. And so that worked out for us. I don't typically recommend or advise uh, new founders go on and take on a business partner. I got very lucky. Um, and it, and if you do decide to take on a business partner, try to find your 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 business soulmate, the person you couldn't imagine starting the business without, that complements your skills so well. Did, That's we not what we had. That. Getting in business with a partner is like getting married, but worse. <laughs> yeah, well, right. It, it's easier to it's it's a lot easier to get a divorce from a traditional marriage than it is to unwind a cap table and unwind a business, especially one that half-ass succeeded. It's yeah. it's easier it's easier to get a divorce than it is to get out of a business partnership. All right, so let's let's talk about what GreenPal is and what it does and how the business model works. Uh, so you got in the tech world, you, you took a swing at it, and you said, "What I'm going to do is I'm going to pair up landscapers to a need in the residential market." That's is right. That right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So how does that work? How, how do you guys make money? Yeah. So it's a true marketplace uh, business model. So we connect buyers and sellers, and we take a small piece of the, each transaction to fund the business. So it works the same as Uber, Airbnb, DoorDash, Instacart eBay uh, was eBay famously was one of the first uh, businesses to, to to do this, connecting buyers and sellers and taking a piece of the transaction. So that's what we do in the small little world of landscaping maintenance. And we do it just for residences. We don't do any commercial work. I mean, there, there's, there is some act, commercial activity on the platform, but not much. And so if you own or rent a home and you, you know, your, your long guy disappeared on you, which happens, your grass is three feet no. tall. <laughs> Come on. You're telling me they're flighty? No. Yeah. He's a handyman. He may have cut off three fingers, Chris. Come right. on, give him I a know. break. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or, or or what did I just have? Uh guy says, uh, text my scheduler says, can't come to work. My truck is gone. Gone. Uh, okay. <laughs> you, your truck is gone. No, not, no, he, well, he was yeah. he was coming in his own truck. Oh, okay. Not in one of our trucks. Because if it was my truck, bro, we would have found that one quickly. <laughs> But yeah, my truck is gone. Okay. So this isn't an app. It's a, it's a, you know, online. App, it app is an and app. website. Yep. So you okay. download the app, pop your address in, you get five quotes from lawn care services nearby you. You can read reviews, check out which one you want to work with, hire them right there. They come out, mow it, upload, a, they upload a picture when they're done. So that's proof of the work. And then, um, and if you like what the, the job they did, you just push a button and they come out every week or every two weeks for the whole year. Okay, I'm so you just set it. I'm gonna, I want to get stuck in the weeds here, but I, I'm so fascinated by these kinds of businesses because you kind of you have to have the service providers, then you got to get the customers, and then you got to put them together. But then, you know, I'm assuming you roll this out geographically. I mean, did you start in Nashville, and does it go, you know, market by market, or how does that all work? You got to do all those things. So you've you've got you've got a chicken and egg problem combined with 
it's a locally constrained marketplace. So you've kind of got three challenges going on at once. So you got to match buyers and sellers. You have to have enough uh, lawn care uh, professionals. You have to have enough consumers that want to try it out at a local level. And it ain't just Nashville, it, Atlanta. It ain't Atlanta. It's it's Alpha. If it's it's Alpharetta. It's Smyrna. It's it's uh, it's uh, Jonesboro, Riverdale, East East Point. You have to build a, a mini market in every one of those communities from the ground up. And so it's very tedious. It's, it's a lot of hand-to-hand combat making all that happen. And it's taken us a decade to get where we are now. We started off just in Nashville. We spent three years in Nashville getting the the app to work right and getting the marketplace to, to work smoothly. Then we developed a game plan to roll out to every town and city in the country. Now we're in every every city in the country with around 300,000 people using it every week to get lawn mowing. And now do you have local representation there or is it all uh, based out of Nashville doing the work there? It's funny. When we started, we thought you had to. Um, and, and Uber did too. Uh, Uber was blowing up. Uh, they were about three or four years ahead of us. So we were able to kind of watch what they were doing and, and copy some of it in terms of how, how they were rolling it out city to city. So Uber did that. They would go to a city, get an office, meet with drivers, recruit people, very much like boots on the ground. And so we did that with our first four cities. And I know the inside of every coffee shop, every every Starbucks and the greater Atlanta area, greater Tampa area, the whole Nashville area, St. Louis area, because I have I have met with thousands of contractors in those cities, recruiting them to the platform. And as time went on, we began to, to figure out a way to do this in a self-service uh, model where we could we could reach these these folks uh, through social media or through Google and present them with a with an offering that made sense from a landing page and they could sign up and use it without having to have that human interaction. But if had we not hand cranked it like that in the early days, hand to hand combat, kind of belly to belly, so to speak, we wouldn't have known what to build. We wouldn't have known what the system needed to look like. So going, so, going back to your sales experience in the beginning, you you wouldn't know right. what you needed to build unless you actually went out there and did it. And as you say, codify, say process it, same thing. Yeah, I think that's the thing where you go. Uh, I, I had to do that in the beginning. You had to you had to walk before you could start running. I think that's another key thing. It it sounds really easy to sit push a magic button and then have a contractor go, yep, I sign up and have a consumer go, yep, I'm working on it. Next thing you know, you're getting an email from the consumer saying the guy never showed or whatever uh, it may be. I was thinking the same thing from the customer service side. You're the one that they're going to call, I'm assuming. So that's a whole nother beast you have to tame, right? Yeah. Well, we make it really, really clear that we're not your lawn care service. Uh, It's the same as if you found a restaurant on Yelp or you bought something on eBay or you, uh, you you got Chinese food on DoorDash. If if the Chinese food is like uh, doesn't taste good, you're just going to give the Chinese restaurant a bad uh, review. You're not going to barbecue DoorDash, and so for us, we have oriented ourselves in the same way. We're not your lawn care service. We are a platform, a, a mobile app where you can hire multiple lawn care services and test them out, try them out, find a good fit for you. And so uh, while we do have customer support and, and vendor support, we have to. We make it real clear that you know we're not in we're not in the business of being a technology based landscaping company. We're in the business of making the landscaping industry work smoother. And so there's there is a distinction there. Nice. All right. So uh, as you built this, you said three hundred thousand. I got that number. Um, and the way it works, then if I'm a if I'm a lawn care provider, I have to have a website. I have to have Google reviews. I guess I have to have a presence. Is that what you is that what you guys dictate? 
No, you you need to be uh, a hardworking individual with some basic equipment and some some basic criteria to sign up for our platform, and then you you're in the lawn mowing business. So, who we hire, who we who we help, we don't hire anybody. They don't work for us. Who uses our platform is the smaller one man band, Molly in a mower, Peter in a pickup. Uh, who doesn't have the online presence. They don't have the marketing. They don't have the Google reviews. Maybe they work full-time on a big landscaping crew and they want to make some money nights and weekends mowing grass for themselves and then transition into becoming full-time into the business. We help a lot of small business owners do that. And so it, it's it's the the smaller operators that don't have all of those systems is who we're set up to help because they can plug into our system. All they got to do is quote the work, show up, do a great job, follow the process. They get paid in 24 hours. And then we help them get booked for the rest of the season with, with our, uh, with our system. And so we're in the, we're in the, in the business of being like a, like a coach in their pocket, like a business in the box for, for lawn care services. So, so most of the other companies that you talk about, like Uber and DoorDash and stuff, those are single transaction businesses and what you're doing is you know you've got more of a contractual business and so how does that work when you're matching people up and getting paid and things like that that was one mistake that a lot of uber for x companies made when they were when they were first like exploding in 2014 15 16 there was uber for everything there was you know a lot of venture back companies uber for home cleaning was a big one uber for uh car washing, Uber for valet parking, Uber for uh, home painting. Literally all these existed and and 95% of them are out of business. And one of the main reasons why none of them worked out was because they treated the supply side as fungible commodities that could be interchanged. And so you really like, like Uber, you don't care who picks you up and takes you to the airport so long as, as they, as they pick you up on time and get you there alive. And, and then you don't care who like, gives you the return uh, trip, it could be a different driver. It doesn't matter to you. Well, well, lawn care is not that way. You you hire somebody, and then if they do a good job, you want them for as long as you own the home. And so that's how we have built the system. We've built it to where as a, a consumer can use it, try a few people out, and then they got to lock in and set up a cadence for with who they want to work with. They can't use it um, like, ah, it's Thursday afternoon. Why don't you come mow my yard? Like, it doesn't work that way. It, gotcha. it's, 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 uh, it's, you have to, you have to set up a, a, a regular service interval as a consumer if you want to use the platform. You can try it out one time. And if it's not a good fit for you, that's fine. But after that first visit, you have to set up a, like a every week or every two week schedule. All right. So as a consumer, if I go in there, I, I ask for a bid. They get a week to give me a bid. I get a, I get that, I guess, and then I decide who I want to go with. They get thirty seconds to give you a bid. You, Whoa! You, you get you get you get five bids back in less than a minute. How do you, how can you do that? Well, that's one of the things that that we simplify for lawn pros. The the reason why it sucks as a as a consumer to get this service done is because all of these all of these people operating grass cutting services are out mowing yards. They don't have time to go run sales and run estimates and return your phone call and, and to deal with that sales prospect. So we take everything we know about your, your property, your, your address, how often you want it mowed, how long has it been since you last did it? And then we take that data and then we look up what is the square footage of your lot. And we present all of that to the vendor along with here's the average price for uh, that area, that zip code. 
and uh and, and here's what you've been bidding and, and how you've been winning and losing business in this in this area and so we we package all that up into one kind of opportunity so as a as a professional you can quote 10 of these in five minutes rather than having to drive all over town um you know giving out estimates and leaving them in the mailbox i got you all right so all the future services for that one client are booked through your platform that's correct. In theory. And, okay. Yeah, and and that's part of the agreement that that vendors sign when they when they come onto the platform is that that visit and all future visits will be through the platform. If not, their their account gets terminated, which doesn't happen often. You you in the early days we we had uh, quite a bit of that, and as time we have figured out how to add more value to where it just doesn't make sense as a as a vendor to go do it the old way anymore. It's like it's kind of like if you were taking an Uber ride the and the driver like pulling over a hundred yards before your destination saying, Hey, if you'll cancel it in your app, you can pay me $7 in cash and each of us can save a dollar. Um, they wouldn't do that. And so, and so green pal is the same way. Once you've done it, once you've run your business on the green pal platform, you don't want to do it the old way anymore. Nice. Well, well done. I know we're coming to the end. So what do you have an exit strategy for green pal? Or is that something you're like, Nope, today I'm still enjoying it. This is my why I want to keep doing it. You nailed it. It uh, it really is. I, I've uh, in ten years. I've you know, there's been some hundred hour weeks, but I haven't worked a day in ten years. It really has been what I've wanted to do every day. I have worked on this project. It is what I wanted to do that day. So I'm having fun doing it, and um, you know, it's not like uh, <laughs> it's not like I'm 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 totally altruistic, but I really do enjoy running this business, and I really do enjoy. Uh, helping small business owners prosper on this platform and helping people get where they're trying to get. So, um, you know, you never know if the right offer came maybe, but uh, as long as I'm having fun and I'm halfway good at running this business, that's, that's what I'm going to keep doing. I love it. This is great. Well, go check it out. If you, uh, so how many cities are you in now? Uh, over, over 300 cities in the United States. So if you live in a town, uh, with over 20,000 people, you can use green pal to get a lawn mowing service. Or if you're in the business, you can, you can double your business in a year. There you go. If you want to get in business and double your business, get in with green pal, go do it. We'll uh, put all the stuff out there for you. This has been amazing. What a great story. Uh, two arcs, right? I mean, all the way from the beginning. So Brian, thank you so much for coming on, but we can't let you go without asking a couple of questions and then we'll plug a few more things for Brian Clayton. So number one, you've mentioned two books. What is a book you would recommend to our audience uh, when they're thinking about either scaling or starting a business? Well, I think everybody, everybody needs to read the E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just like the, the, the Bible of small business. Uh, one that I try to reread every, every couple of years. It, it's, it's like, even though it's about, about a lady trying to build a bakery, there's so many parallels with, with how do you think about building a business and, uh, and not being in the business and being on the business. So that one is table stakes. Um, another book I think everybody should read just to be a better leader, better, better founder is seven habits of highly effective people by Dr. Stephen Covey. I mean, that is just a, uh, I try to, I do read that book every year. I mean, that is just a, yeah, that's a great book about, you know, just how to live a more intentional, more effective life. And it's timeless. I think it was written in the nineties. Awesome book. Bit long. It's going to take a while to read, but it's worth it. All in the audio book is great. Yep. No, it was great. Yeah. I, that was uh, one of my first boss's recommendations to me was I needed to get more organized and go read that book. I like the idea of reading books like that every year. I think that makes a lot of sense. I've got a golf book I read every year. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I, 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 you always pick up something, right? If you if you're open to, all right, what's in it for me? It's just getting back to the basics. Yeah, it's a great reset. It's yep. Amazing what you forget in a year. Yeah, especially a year like you live. Uh, a lot of miles. What did I do year. yesterday? Oh my god, right. we're back. Okay, <laughs> all right. What's the favorite feature of your house? The favorite feature of my house, uh, I've got a little koi pond in the backyard that that uh it's got a little fountain in it nothing fancy and i like just sitting out there listening to the fountain so that's my he's favorite got a feature. huge smile on his face for our listeners by the way <laughs> he does must be your happy place all right it, it, yeah it have very a net? calming it's got a net. net yeah i gotta have a net keep the crap out of it right oh or the crap or take the yeah birds, and, and, the yeah yeah, yeah. I, I know, know who, uh, I, I had know a client eating them for a while but yeah you gotta put a net on it <laughs> yeah i know i had a client we here in atlanta and uh, had a koi pond out back. And I said, oh, wow, that's really awesome. He goes, no, it's not. I said, what's going on? <laughs> he said, "He said I just stocked that koi pond a month ago. And they're all gone. <laughs> I said, "I said, I, I, what happened? He goes, damn birds. They came from everywhere. And he, he couldn't figure out what was happening either. So he said, now I know I have to have a net. <laughs> so there you go. Net your koi pond so you can go listen to it and enjoy it. Question <laughs> C. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. All right. What's a customer service pet peeve of yours when you're out there and you're the customer? Yeah, it's like, come on, guys, let's get into 2023. I can't stand when I go into a business that operates like it's in the 90s. I went to the dentist yesterday, and the minute I walk into the office, they give me a a damn clipboard with a big pen and 10 pieces of paper I got to fill out. You know who your third trip there today. Yeah, you know who I am. Yeah. You know who I am. I've been coming here for a decade. Uh, you know, that should all just be abstracted away and it should it should just happen like magic. And and you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe as a small business owner you had an excuse because those systems were just so expensive. Nowadays, if you're a dentist, you can buy the best in class operating system to run your dentist practice for probably 150 bucks a month. So, yeah, step your game up. I once stayed at a hotel called M uh, Citizen M, and like this is a, a reimagined uh, hotel from the ground up, a technology forward hotel. And I was able to check in and get my room key and get into my room without interacting with anybody. Um, I like I had the key to my room, uh, and I walked in the hotel and went to my room, and I didn't have to check in and have to do all that BS around, you know, giving them my my ID and credit card for incidentals, and that takes twenty minutes. So just thinking about ways to remove the friction for your customer and and do business with yourself. Sign up for your own company. Sign up for your own product and see where the friction is and 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 these days what you can plug in to remove that friction. Nice. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Citizen M. Where what city is that in? Well, they're all over now. This happened to be in in uh lower Manhattan at the time, but I am okay. I am seeing them pop up everywhere now. They're they're blowing up. All right. And uh and they they own the real estate and they and they have the 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 flag, so to speak, of the hotel brand, and so that's what enables them to create that experience. That's but, awesome. Uh, truly, truly, the way it should should be everywhere, you know, um, without having to like do that rigmarole of checking in everywhere. I'm so with you on the whole doctor visit thing. I've had a couple recently. And I'm like, same thing. I think my my general practitioner I've had for 25 years now. Yeah. And then they always use this. Uh, it's for HIPAA. I'm like, do you even know what that stands Just for? Just ask me, has anything changed? Yeah. That's the only question you need to ask right. me. Yeah. I mean, what, what, could, what can I possibly check today that you didn't already know? And, uh, right. and, uh, and I'm checking them all anyway. 
I mean, <laughs> I mean, never mind. All right, back to that. All right, last thing, last question. Give us a DIY nightmare story. Me in the home construction business, I love hearing about things well, like we that. already heard about the fingers, but it's not you, right? <laughs> a DIY uh, nightmare story. Well, uh, so in my first business, I would see this a lot. Um, we we laid pavers uh, as part of our construction division, and I would see. I can't tell you how many times I would see people do their own paver project, and and <laughs> and not do the prep work underneath, and not like excavate and lay out the gravel and tamp it, and they would just like they would do they would do that, but like halfway do it, and and so then like a year later, you would have these divots and and roll you know and like tire tire like divots where where the car would come into the driveway and. And that would always like give me a chuckle because I know they went with a cheaper contractor or they tried to save some money. And, but, but uh, yeah, it's like 90% of the work in that business is, is, is never seen. And I guess there's so many other like parallels in life that that's true for also. Yeah. Great point. Preparations, everything on that for sure. Brian, this has been great. Green pal is your thing. Is there anything else you wanted to push or tell everybody about? Yeah, you know, check us out at greenpal.com. You can get five free quotes and see if any of them, maybe save some money. So check it out. Try it out and let me know. Shoot me an email or hit me up on Instagram. You can find me at Brian M. Clayton. Let me know what you think. Awesome. I love it. This has been great. All right, guys, there you go. You know what to do when you're 17 and your dad's yelling at you. But no, I mean, um, no, you just got to keep pivoting, keep rolling. It just keep makes me want to go yell at my kids. Right? Uh, there you go. Do this. <laughs> All right, everybody. I got to get out of here because uh, daddy needs some sleepy sleep time. Get ready for my next party. Huh? Let's go. Liver, All right, Brian. Thank you. Transplant. All right, buddy. We're out of here. Thanks, Brian. Bye-bye.